Welcome back to Sheep Stuff. You should know this is Brian Mahoney coming to you from a sunny, partly clouded Rio Vista, California, kind of teasing like it's going to rain, but it's not going to rain, but it's kind of thinking like it might. So I'm hoping it is. And today I'm joined by Dr. Rosie Bush. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing? How's the, I'm great. I'm great. How's the weather up there in Davis? It's nice and cool. I think it's in the 70s. Yeah. You guys just went to a football game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and Dan and John and and Justin. Justin and all sorts of folks. And I was supposed to go, but I didn't. How, how was it? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. They it's got a, a really, new stadium at UC yeah. Davis, right? Yep. It's a really nice stadium. And I remember when it was being built because it was built into the ground and it doesn't have any kind of shade that oh, they were weird. having issues with summer games and having players get heat stroke and stuff. So it's like a bowl in the <laughs> yeah. dirt. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah. And they have turf and I guess the turf that they had when they started was really hot. And oh, now, I think we had, I, when I played in, in, uh, Oregon, we played, I had a, we had an AstroTurf, like the old school AstroTurf field and that sucked. Yes. But then they were just coming out with the new turf where they have like the ground uh, rubber. rubber stuff yeah. in there. And I remember we played on one up in Puget Sound or something, and and it was a it was a coolest field. But then when it get when it would get hot, it was hot. really hot. Yes. And <laughs> but, yeah. you know, luckily up there it didn't get as bad. But yeah, those are really cool. That new yeah. that new turf. Yeah, I never liked the turf because I was a goalie, and it makes the ball go really fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and then that rubber stuff would get in your socks everywhere. And, yeah. <laughs> I had a buddy who got staph infection from one of those turf fields. Gross. It's just all, I mean, if you really think about it, it's pretty disgusting. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just rubber and everything. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That is very cool. Anything yeah, else fun. exciting going on? Um, I went to our y- local yarn store today. Oh, uh, how <laughs> was the yarn? There. You're becoming quite the knitter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a spinning wheel yet or just no, no, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Oh nope. man. We're going to have yeah. to go to you with all questions on yarn yeah. and quality. <laughs> so when you, when you go to the yarn store, you, you buy something, what'd you find? I did. I bought two different, I didn't have a huge project in mind, but I do want to start doing socks because they're small projects that you can kind of take everywhere with you. <laughs> so, so when you have like that in mind, you're like, I want to make a sock. Do you, um, what kind of yarn or what are you looking for in the yarn to make a sock? Cause I would assume you'd want something different than if you're going to make a hat or, a, you know, or a beanie yeah. or a shirt or a blanket, you know, you kind of need a different. Well, and there's a lot of different socks too, right? So you could make, yep. I got two different kinds of yarn. They're both sock yarns. So they're, uh, fingering weight yarn, which means it's really thin. Um, this one is mm. all Merino, which it's colorful. Is- it's very colorful <laughs> and but merino as you can imagine is pretty fine it's very soft but it might not be as durable as you would want so i got another one that is merino and nylon so the nylon makes it a little uh, bit more durable um, yeah yeah and the nice thing is that one skein of yarn can make two socks so one skein makes two socks did they do that on purpose um I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty that. convenient, really, if you think yeah. about it. Better than like one and three quarters. Yeah. Like, shoot. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, darn. So, 
are there different i mean obviously there's different sock sizes but if you know two just two adult socks that stretch to pretty much anybody's foot yeah well so the cool thing about knitting is that they seem to have a lot more sizes than if you just went to the store and bought stuff so there's three different like male sock sizes for a certain pattern I'm looking at and then three different female sock sizes and then there's even three children's sock sizes so they have you measure the widest part of your foot with the arch and then you pick the pattern size based on that so but so would would that one skinny because the one skinny yarn is going to be the same length can that one do all those sizes yeah you'll have extra yarn if you do the smaller ones oh okay well that's interesting yeah so maybe it'll do like four kids socks (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Mm, probably not yeah i don't know kids grow out of them so quick too yeah i know i don't really knit much for my kids anymore (laughs) yeah we had some really cool socks come in from uh we sell our wool to that imperial yarn they just sent us some socks in the mail that are really pretty cool so we're trying them we're doing the durability test on them we're trying to beat them up see see how they hold up run around the house with just yeah they're really good for sliding across flat floors (laughs) and so pretty fun (laughs) they had imperial yarn at this store but there's yeah. where the alpaca and then the alpaca blend. And yep. oh my gosh, I I it was so soft. It was apparently cashmere grade. It was yeah. soft. Alpaca is so. incredible, the the softness of alpaca, but it it can it can be brittle. Um yeah, I don't know what I would make with it, but yeah. But then I I really like they they have some alpaca wool blends that you like you said they had one of those. I really like those. The feel of those because you get the strength of the wool combined with the softness of that alpaca fiber and as long as you can keep that micron of that wool under 22 then you can it's next to skin wear which is really nice yeah. <laughs> okay enough about yarn sorry <laughs> hi this is cheap stuff you should know yarn fits in so yep. we're going to do a yarn episode here in a few few months once you once you get your spinning wheel and we'll yeah, we should invite someone who really knows what they're talking about. <laughs> right. That's more fun when you make it up. That's what I try to do. <laughs> Perfect. So today, what I wanted to talk about is uh, I wanted to talk about kind of influences like yeah, people, people and things that have kind of influenced or mentored or leaders in your in your life growing up, you kind of have a, have a unique journey to veterinary medicine, I think. And so I thought it'd be a great opportunity to dig in to learn a little bit more about you, but then also, um, maybe broaden it into kind of what, what really, what really makes an influential person, you know, sync with you. So anyway, I guess, so my first question is, 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 um, you know, who, who were your biggest mentors that kind of brought you through veterinary medicine or brought you into it? Um, so when I was in college, I worked with a mobile vet in Placerville and he, I kind of started there as a volunteer and, um, we did horses and small ruminants and, um, I just wanted to get out there and see what the life was like. And he was a very hard worker. His name was Dr. Turoff. And um, I'm not sure if he's still working up there anymore, but he, um, I don't know. He just 
had a really incredible work ethic and um, I started helping him keep his invoices and his records while we were driving. And he was like, well, this is actually really helpful. So now I'm going to pay you. So I had a job, which was great. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I don't know. He just really kind of, we just drove in the truck all the time, driving from case to case. And I think just so being able to the, talk real life things. So was that more of like, a, you getting to see his life as a vet really kind of encouraged that you to pursue the same career sort of say it's a different yeah. career you're you're not a i'm not practice. doing what he does at all. but yeah. but you know vet but veterinary medicine it's the same same oath yeah yeah and i kind of i don't know it's interesting when you start something you see yourself going a certain direction and then where i'm at looking back for you know 15 years ago it's like wow i'm not doing what i thought i would be doing at all um, I'm super happy where I'm at, but it's really interesting when certain doors open and you just happen yeah. to walk through. Yeah. So what do you think it was about that experience or him that, that really, um, you, you know, it, was it, was it all the little things? Was it, um, was it the work? Was it seeing the relations he had with the other people? Was it the conversations you were having with him? Was it, you, you know, what, exactly about that relationship was the was kind of qualified him as a mentor so to say I think all of it, all <laughs> so, of it? I mean one he had the most awesome vet truck I've ever seen <laughs> it was kind of more like a farrier truck so he didn't have all those things where he had to climb into the back of the truck it had the um it was like this huge kind of over bed cab thing that had doors that swung out so he had a countertop to where he could work he had drawers that he could pull out it was incredible huh. so <laughs> that was really neat I was like okay if ever I do go into ambulatory I need that kind of truck um but really I don't know his relationships with his clients was really awesome um we just you know I don't know being working with him was wasn't like we had things pre-planned. You get there, you see, you know, it's always kind of one problem after the next, trying to kind of solve those, each individual thing. We were at one place where a car accident happened to happen right in front of us and the pasture started catching on fire. So we had to move the horses, move the truck, like who's going to do what? So I ended up driving the truck up and while the owner and he were running the horses up the driveway. I mean, it's just like, you're constantly, nothing is ever the same. And living through those experiences with him is what I think really connected us, right? So it wasn't just a teacher-student sort of relationship. It was actually going through experiences together. So then my, ne my next question, that's a good segue. My next question is, who would be your favorite professor when you were in college or post-grad? Hmm. So my favorite class that I ever took was with Dr. Stott. And we've talked about him. He's the immunologist and he is the one who's developed the foothill abortion vaccine. He just has so much passion for teaching. And I learned so much from that class. And, but the way that he presents it, it's like, you can tell he really just loves what he's talking about. 
but is also still able to present it to, you know, when I was an undergrad who had never taken an immunology class before, is still able to take something that is his entire career that he's obviously very passionate about and present it to me in my, you know, 20s and help me understand something at a very basic level. It's very cool. Um, how, how, how did that work? I don't know, that may be getting in the weeds a bit, but how, I mean, how does that? It, I think it's really hard for someone who knows. I mean, you see that a lot at universities. There are professors who know something so well that they don't even know what the general population knows. You know, they feel like this should be general knowledge because they know it. It's part of their DNA almost, you know. Yeah. So to, to have someone who can know it that well, but also know how to explain it to a beginner is really unique. I think Yeah. they exist. Kind of that awareness, yeah. aware, awareness. And it's not a belittling presentation because I've, I've run into that a lot where somebody, you know, they basically take something that's super complicated and then they put it into a children's story format and that's just as annoying as the complicated presentation <laughs> just talk to me like an adult <laughs> you know but that, that's that's really interesting um what about what about your favorite teacher when you were young like high school middle school y- younger and kind of why were they your favorite teacher don't have to be the one you learn the most just your f- favorite <laughs> i don't know if i remember that <laughs> just all washed over totally I have great coaches like I don't know coach that that works what about a coach <laughs> my best coach ever was Danny Link he coached our high school team and he also coached semi-pro and like he was just a really good soccer coach he coached all levels but my high school is really unique in that we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of female soccer players who had played soccer before. <laughs> I think there were maybe four of us on the team who played before high school. So well, there's he... not a lot of giant parks in San Francisco. I mean, there's one, but <laughs> <laughs> you're built on a hill. It's hard to have a big flat soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> they exist, but, they yeah. do, but they're hard to find. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's true. And, but yeah, so we would, we always had people interested and they, you know, we, he welcomed everyone to come. There were no tryouts. Everyone made the team and we would go start a season with maybe 12 people who had never played soccer before. And every year we would end up in the championships. He oh, just, wow. yeah, he was amazing. He was, but what, what is it about that coat? Like the, there's a, there's a unique, I mean, teachers can do this too, I think, mm-hmm. but, um, especially when you're dealing with like high school, middle, middle school, there's a, there's a special, those really good coaches have a way of, of demanding accountability, but providing opportunity. And yeah. I just, I'm, I mean, what, what, how was he able to do that? Or what, what were kind of some of the unique personality s- skills that he had or, or traits that he had that allowed him to connect with, you know, these young people that are looking for meaning, but not wanting anybody to tell them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> He was just, he was very energetic um, and fun. So like every game that we did was like, it was, all of our drills were more games than they were just like militant drills. 
Um, so they were fun for people who'd never done it before. He worked really well with, again, building from the basics and then teaching people the game. And, you know, he, he never really let anyone struggle too hard. Like, yes, it's okay to struggle, but he never really made anyone fight against themselves. So he kind of recognized everyone's strengths and our weaknesses and, but also gave us opportunities. So like for myself, I was, that's kind of when I started being playing goalie and he, gave me extra practice times to work with him on that. And I don't know, it was because he could tell that I, that was something that I was interested in. And so it was, I don't know, very, I think willing to connect with each of us on that level, which was cool. Huh. So then what's, what's the difference between a coach, professor and mentor? They kind of serve different roles, but they, they influence you similarly, but they kind of serve different roles. How would you break them? How would you separate those kind of people? Well, I mean, and I guess, so the, the teacher is the person who's kind of in front at more of a role model, right? Like, so they're able to pre present information and provide it to you in a way that hopefully you can absorb and, I think also by the way that they're presenting information, you kind of are learning how to learn. Everyone has different ways of learning, but it, you also kind of have to learn how to learn from different teachers. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, that role might not be as um, interactive in every case, but maybe that's where a teacher turns into a mentor is when they have office hours or you do. A research project with them that's more interactive and then that's where that feedback and that kind of I don't know guidance that goes even beyond the project but like kind of guiding you through career decisions in life sort of things is where that mentorship role might come in. Does that mentorship happen more organically or do you have to be intentional about start you know taking those initial steps to build that relationship? That's a good question. I think, I mean, in most of the cases that I've, like most of my mentors have kind of just happened organically, the ones that you connect with, the ones that you trust. And, but that's a good question because I think there's a huge need for mentorship for a lot of new graduates that are out there and just but want someone to bounce ideas off of. But the, um, just to <laughs> prove my own point. <laughs> you know, uh, but wouldn't you, I mean, couldn't you say that like, you know, your, your, uh, your relationship with your vet, that mentorship started because you initially took a job up there, or, you know, went to volunteer up there. Yeah. Your, um, example of the teaching teacher becoming a mentor was when you started a project, but that takes you being intentional about reaching out to this person. I don't know that I expected that to be an outcome though. When I no you know, but you have to be, <laughs> I guess what I'm getting at it. I mean, you don't do it with the intention of them being a mentor. Yeah. You do it with, I, I need to do this for experience. And then that experience can turn into a mentor, mentor relationship or a, you know, a influential, it can be bigger yeah. than just the job a yeah. lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. Of kind of those kind of ventures that you've done you know, where you've gone extended work with different 
professors for projects or colleagues or things like that, how, I don't know, what, <laughs> what percent of those become kind of more of a mentorship type? I think most of those, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know, but it might also be how I tend to approach things. I tend to be more, yeah. I don't know on that. It's hard for me to just stick to work. <laughs> well, I think so. that's, I think that's important though, to, to, you know, if you're, you know, we do have a huge need for mentorship. We have a need for in the sheep industry. I'm talking, um, we have a need for mentorship and I don't know, not almost like apprenticeship type trade teaching relationships. Um, a lot of the knowledge in the industry is, is in the minds of brilliant men that run their business and, and don't necessarily spend a lot of time passing that on. And so I think it's important to recognize that you do have to be somewhat intentional about at least beginning a project. You don't have to necessarily, you know, say I'm going to make Dr. Bush a mentor and I'm going to go and bugger every hour, but you do have to, an opportunity comes up for you to come out and uh, yeah. sample some sheep on your ranch. You need to be able to say, yes, you need to, you know, you need to be open to those engagements because you never know when that's going to turn into something. That's right? true. And I, you know, I was thinking, so Dr. Heller, Mira Heller, she's a clinician in Seabarn here. And she was, she's basically the reason I survived the first year of my residency doing the large animal internal medicine residency here. And she left in my second year, she went to Missouri and she was there for a number of years and then she came back. And so she was very clearly a mentor, a role model, incredible help to me in the beginning of my residency. And now we're basically best friends. I mean, she's, I still go to her for advice, but she comes to me for advice now. And so it's, it's kind of where a mentorship and friendship, they're almost like the same, right? There's a a give and take. You can't just take from your mentor. They also, there's also, I guess they definitely have a lot to offer, but there's also, I think it's more of a relationship than it is that kind of teacher profile. So, yeah, I think that kind of, <laughs> I'm trying to debate whether I should segue it into that's my next question is kind of after you reach the mentorship, a lot of times, you'll come into a different form of relation. And you kind of, for me, I, I call it like build a team around yourself. You build a brain yeah. trust of people that you trust in and, and um, go to for advice in their, in what you know is their expertise. And sometimes you even ask them questions that aren't their expertise because they have a perspective that's different. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm going to ask my, my favorite question that I've been wanting to ask, but um, do you have, can you think of any time or any one or anything that has had a huge impact on your life and they have no idea, or it was such a small amount of time. It was just like a, you know, like a, a bird wisps in and changes the trajectory and whiffs, you know, <laughs> goes away and they have no idea, you huh. know, somebody that is influenced you a bunch and wouldn't, wouldn't expect it. If you told them, yeah, you're one of my, <laughs> inspirations and they'd be blown away by it yeah I mean hmm, that's hard <laughs> super hard but it's very hard I think everybody has those though yeah gosh I mean so I when I was 
in vet school, I got to go down to Guatemala for, a, it used to be a RAVS, Rural Area Veterinary Service. It was like a national program where you'd go and volunteer your time and do spays and neuters. And so this trip to Guatemala, we went to castrate horses and look at different saddle sores and things like that. And there was um, a fellow down there who helped us basically go from village to village. And he tried to teach me Spanish and all these things. And he's just, I mean, how much time he gave for the effort. And I mean, he wrote me a letter about what it meant for him and raising his daughter and seeing that, you know, women were engaged in this type of profession. And those, that kind of interaction was really huge. And I've never, I didn't get his address. I've never talked to him again before. And, but I don't know, that kind of just so giving and bringing us in to be kind of part of his community. And it was amazing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's, that's really cool. I, I think that's, I think that's one of the things we don't necessarily appreciate as much as we should where, because everybody's so connected, it's hard to, it's hard to remember those people that kind of have flown in and, and kind of really, really, really affected you. Um, mm-hmm. but they don't really have an idea that they did. I, I think, and I think that's important to recognize that when you're going through your professional career, that oftentimes you're that person influencing somebody and you have no idea what that influence is. Um, and so it's very important to have that giving attitude, have that, you know, really, Oh, I don't know if you call it awareness or what, but just appreciation and, and express the, even if you're having a bad day, always try to make sure you express the joy of the job and the good stuff that's going on because you never know who you're talking to yeah. on the other line. And well, and just like this guy in Guatemala, he, if it weren't for him, we would have been total outsiders. It would have, even though we were trying to do something helpful, how would anyone know? And, you know, like he made us like his friends. So all of his friends knew that we were, you know, there to do mm-hmm. something good. And so being that person that can help connect outsiders within, you know, like we have a sheep community and allowing people being welcoming and open to new people, I think is, yeah, super important. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So on to the um, transitioning. So, you know, as, uh, as I guess when you're training for your career, like you, you went through a lot of schooling. I went through some schooling, but then I worked, I, I probably had more of an apprenticeship type relationship, mm-hmm. but you, you have these mentor mentee relationships that then turn into kind of co equal, you can, I guess, peers, you turn, you become a professional, you're, you're now peers. And so how do you go about, um, how do you go about building that group of people that you can continue to go back to and they, but then retain that openness where they know they can come to you as well. You know, how do you go about, you know, how have you done that throughout your career so far? Um, <laughs> and what, I guess, what advice would you give someone that's maybe starting out or wanting to get involved in the industry 
that's trying to build relationships and make some connections, you know, how do they, how do they approach people and try to begin to work on that, build that trust? Yeah. I think a lot of it is presence, like, you know, actually being engaged and in that relationship. If I had just gone to, you know, Mira and just asked her, asked her, asked her, and then just didn't, you know, left as soon as I got the answer I wanted and never really checked in or followed up or made it more of a conversation, you know, how did that case do? Um, I don't know that she would have been very fulfilled by our relationship and it may not have lasted as long as it has. Um, I think that teachers really enjoy sharing their knowledge, but what makes a mentor something really great is where they get joy out of your, you know, your success. They're there to support you through failures. There's, you know, that's that kind of back and forth. And then with that, they're going to have, you know, maybe times where they need support and you're there to provide that. So being engaged and there and seeing that, seeing it as a back and forth relationship, I think is where that is where it kind of goes to becoming more of a peer uh, sort of community relationship kind of type of yeah thing what I mean what would you say from because mine is more of I mean there's definitely an apprentice type of deal that we have here but I just haven't left which is why yeah (laughs) they can't get rid of me so you're still there Davis (laughs) they're stuck with me (laughs) I think I think for me it's it's um very similar but it's kind of being aware and showing up and engaging with people it's the um I remember my first 10 years, um, first couple of years, it was just on the ranch the entire time. But then I really started making a point of going to the farm bureau meetings and going to the wool growers events, going to, um, going to lunch with neighbors and just being very intentional about every opportunity to socialize in that industry environment. Um, it was beneficial. And so I really pushed to do that. I've backed off since that, um, because, I'm older. <laughs> and I can't, I can't have as many lunches as I used to have, but, um, but de- definitely, I, de- I definitely think that's a important start. And then it's, it's asking honest questions, but then also be willing to share what you're doing. I think that was one of my biggest, there's, I can think of multiple people where when I first started talking to them, they would not share a single bit of information because people in the past have used information they told them to burn them steal a lease or sneak feet away or do this or that whereas and so what i found i had to do was i had to share information and i had to continue to share information in order to build that trust and be okay with that and then you would receive it back and sometimes it worked against me but most of the time it didn't and um but i think it's that's really important that you don't you don't get angry or frustrated if you share a bunch of information and they don't tell you nothing the first five times you sit down and talk to them for a half an hour. You know, sometimes you just have to keep pounding your head against the wall. And then when you break through, you'll, you know, you'll learn more than you could ever, ever learn in any, any master's program or anything. Yeah. I think trust is a huge part of it for sure. Definitely. And you have to be willing to, you know, if they share something they don't want spread around, you have to be aware enough to not do it. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how many people like gossip. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. 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 There's apparently there's plenty of gossip. I'm 
here at the vet school, but I was never, I was kind of always oblivious to it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I, I always joke that I just, I can't tell lies cause I can't remember what I'm telling anybody. So I just stick with the truth. <laughs> so good. if I get in trouble, it's cause I told somebody the truth. It's not cause I made up a lie. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, what, what was, um, if you don't, what was the name? Do you remember the name of the guy in Guatemala? No, no. Oh man. I know. I'm so bad with names. I probably yeah. don't remember the name of someone I met two weeks ago. So yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. So, yeah. all right. Well, that was it for my list. I just want to, yeah, I, I, I think that's such a, it's such a, it's such a powerful educational professional thing to have mentors and and a brain trust of people that are around you that you can go to and i think it's important that that um when somebody touches your life and influences your life in a in a strong way and they don't know about it it really is amazing when you can share it it's like that letter that say that you've helped my daughters because to see a woman in this field is inspirational for me there's probably 20 people that have thought that, but only one has written you and told you, right? And so mm -hmm. you don't, you don't always know. And so if you have an opportunity to just tell somebody, I think it's good to take that opportunity. And then also just be aware that, that, uh, you might be that mentor for somebody else without even knowing it. So. Don't. And I think yeah. one of the things that I've seen a bit, maybe, I mean, it's probably always been that way, but I've seen it a bit more is, especially the younger folks kind of enter into school with a feeling of the school owes me my education. And I've even heard that there's students who would rather have all of their classes recorded and, you know, so that they don't have to be in person at school. And it, that was even before this pandemic thing was even a deal. And it kind of breaks your heart as an educator because you know, yes, there's teaching and teaching face-to-face, -face, I think is a little bit more effective than teaching through a screen, but also the opportunity for that teaching relationship to develop into a mentorship is huge. And that's where those long-term, that's where your growth happens. And I still have students that text me that I've, you know, worked with six years ago and ask maybe not asking me things as much that occasionally, but then we, you know, talk about cases and things like that. And so just kind of, even though you're, you should expect to get a good ed education from your teaching institution, you should also go with the mindset that, you know, you have something to offer as well. And education's given, it's not received. Or right. sorry, it's received, received, not given. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't just write a check and get education. You can't get yeah. knowledge by, you know, just showing up somewhere. You have to be receptive to that and yeah. you have to engage and put effort in. And I I think you really touched on something that that definitely definitely means a lot to me, but it's so critical. And when you talk about all of these people that have had major influences on your life, they were present to you as a person in person and they were open and you had conversations with them, but it was, you, you can't, you can't just, you can't go to Google for all your information. You can't YouTube all of the how to's you can't, 
just Zoom class professors talking about things. You can't just listen to sheep stuff. You should know. You have to, you have to really engage on a human level at some point to really start to understand some of the nuances behind the, the, you know, the things that we can talk about, but can't really explain until you live. Set. Yeah. 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 Well, and there, and also your mentors are human too, right? So I've talked about doc, Dr. Hoffman before in South Dakota. He's a huge influence and he yelled at me once <laughs> and then he apologized for it almost immediately after, but he thought I was going to get kicked and he, it, you know, anyway, it was kind of like, wow, I did not expect that to come from, you know, this person that I trust and respect and all of this. And then, but also he was having a very human emotion of fear and he was trying to protect me. And it was like, again, that was not something I expected from a mentor relationship, but it, it's, we're, you know, both very human and you're not going to see the that angel amazing side of your mentor all times. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to, that, I mean, that, that's where it gets to that. that that's where it's hard is yeah. it, when you're building trust and relationships is that you, you know, you, you have to, when you engage on a human level, there's vulnerability in that because none of us are perfect. All of us make mistakes. All of us have emotions and they could certainly get the better of us at a certain time. But at the same time, it's that presentness when you work through something that actually galvanizes that into yeah. something stronger and, and something Absolutely. more valuable later on. So yeah, definitely, definitely be present. Don't just zoom like me, Dan and Rosie do all the time. <laughs> yeah, actually go and talk to somebody in person, go to a football game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need to go again. I don't know. Apparently there's another Saturday game. It's at five o'clock this time. So yeah. John doesn't have to get home at midnight. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm, like, yeah, I'm kind of glad I didn't go then. <laughs> Maybe not Dana's, during lambing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's late night. Well, cool. Well, I'm all yeah. done. You want to take us out? Unless sure. you got anything bad? <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. Well, this has been Sheep Stuff You Should Know uh, with Ryan Mahoney and Dr. Rosie Bush. Thanks. See you guys. Or see you, Rosie, and see you listeners in listener land. Bye.